One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptians, the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to his son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Would you pray with me? Father, every time I read this story, I'm just reminded how you take a man who has taken measures in his own hands, lack of trust in you, can even screw up events, but can never thwart your master plan. In fact, you used Moses to fulfill your plan, even his mistakes. What grace you have. How much you love your people. Lord, that gives me so much hope that you can use me despite my flaws that you can use us, for you are our God. When we sing these songs, we sing to the God of Moses. We sing to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We sing to the God of fellowship at Plum Creek. We are your children. And at this moment, we humble ourselves before you, our mighty God and your Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Use us to fulfill your plan. Then we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in Exodus chapter 2. Um, such a privilege to be up here just to talk to you about what God's teaching me uh, this week. And as we dive into Exodus 2, what, what you're going to see today is just kind of what happens in my brain as I read through Scripture. I want to teach you kind of how to read scripture as well um, when you're going through, because as we go through the book of Exodus, we're not going to be able to read every word in church because we're going to start doing chapter after chapter, so you're going to have to read it kind of on your own. So I want to give you some kind of insight into my brain and kind of how it works, and, and hopefully it's being led by the Lord, um, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we pick up here in verse 11, right, and it says, And one day when Moses has grown up, 
So it should bring into our mind, what do we know about Moses so far? All we know about Moses so far is he's a fine child. He's a beautiful child, right? We know that God rescued him, but all we know about the person of Moses is that he, he's a baby, right? He, and now he's grown up. And so immediately we should think, well, okay, so if he's grown up, how much has he grown up, right? That should be the first question. Because a lot of times when we read scripture, we just kind of like, well, I got this Bible reading plan, and we just like, Vroom, right through it. And instead of letting our mind engage, you know, how old do we think Moses is here? Well, if you go into Acts chapter 7, which is that sermon by Stephen, God, um, the Holy Spirit, right, begins to give this sermon. In verse 23, it tells us that Moses was 40 years old. He's 40 years old when this event is happening. We'll read the whole context of it here in just a second. But so from that one day Moses grew up was 40 years, right, from birth story to today. So a lot's happened, right? He's grown up in, in Pharaoh's house. He's grown up um, as a son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? He's grown up with the best education, um, the best foods, the best that anything in Egypt could offer. That's what Moses has grown up in. So one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So immediately this word, his people, kind of comes to the forefront because Moses has been adopted into Pharaoh's home. So is he Egyptian or is he Hebrew? Is he one of the, the slave children rescued or is he now a prince of Egypt? He, in his mind, has to kind of make some of this decision, right? And so let's go ahead and look at what was some of Moses' mindset. Let's jump ahead into Hebrews chapter 11, because the author of Hebrews gives us a little bit of insight into Moses' way of thinking, right? This is starting in verse 23, just so you have the context of what's going on. Hebrews eleven twenty-three: By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months, by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." So, so you see Moses' mindset? He's like, I have all of these things that are given to me because I've been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, but I'm going to lay those things aside in order to be known as a Hebrew. He's choosing to not let the fleeting pleasures of sin come into his life. Instead, he's choosing to be with his people. That's why we read that in Exodus 2. He said, his people. He goes to his people. He you know, identifies himself as a Hebrew. And the question is, what do you identify yourself as? As a follower of Jesus Christ? Which means that these things that you used to have a goal and, and have a, a plan for, we have to lay those things down at the cross. Fame, money, power, all those things have no place in God's church, right? They have no place in the temple of God, which is our life. But the world out there is just calling our name often. Here's, here's Moses in Pharaoh's house, and he says, I'm going to give up this sin in order to be with my people. I'm going to choose to sacrifice everything that I could get, a better life plan maybe for me, in order to be with the, my people, the people of God. 
And as we go into Acts chapter 7, let's turn a few pages um, back. We see even more about Moses and kind of his mindset, where he's at. We're going into the scene that we're about to encounter. Uh, Verse 17, I'm going to give you a little context in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's speech. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. Remember, we're kind of catching up on the story. If you haven't been here in a while, you're catching up right here. Until there arose over Egypt a king who didn't know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born. He was, a, he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Remember that. Put that somewhere in the back of your memory, that Moses was educated in the best education that he could get, right, in Egypt, and he was powerful with his words and his deeds. So just kind of file that away. It's going to come back up later on. When he was 40 years old, he came, it came into his heart to visit his brothers and the children of Israel. That's the verse we just quoted a second ago. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So now we're getting a little bit more into the psyche of of Moses. Why did Moses defend the Hebrew? He thought that he was going to be the one to bring God's people out of slavery. He kind of is, right? Isn't Moses going to be instrumental in that plan? But he's not ready. There's still work to be done. Because when we look at this scene, if we go back to Exodus 2, and we actually look at Moses' scene, is this the way Moses is supposed to be as the, quote-unquote, one to bring salvation to the nation? Can I give you a little key? Jesus is a better Savior than Moses. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. Jesus is a better, now maybe because I've been studying the book of Hebrews on my own, and the whole book of Hebrews is like, Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. He's, he's the high priest. Jesus is better, right? We believe that. Jesus is a better Savior. And, and let me share, we're going to share why, and we're going to look at why in a second. So here's Moses. He comes up on a Hebrew being mistreated by the Egyptian, all right? And it says here in uh, verse 12, he looked this way and that. Okay, parents, right? You know that look on your kid's face, right? When they've done something wrong, right? And it, it, you're just like, what'd you do? Nothing, right? Now, I worked at HEB, I mean, I worked at Walmart back in the day. When I was a junior and senior in college, I worked at Walmart. I started out working at the, at the checker. I was the, the fast lane, like, right, going through all that stuff. Then I got promoted to the pet department, <laughs> lost two birds, Got moved to security, okay? So then now, now my job is security, right? So I moved security cameras around, and I got to walk the store looking for shoplifters, right? The shoplifters are terrible. They just walk up, and they're like, right? And they shove in the pocket. They look so guilty. Look so guilty. They're, every aisle, they're looking around, and you kind of follow them a distance, and they go to the next aisle, and they're like, right? And they just look guilty. And here's Moses looking around. You know where Moses should have looked? up. Because we're never alone, are we? 
Let's think about this. In our life, in our sin life, how often do we look around before we sin? Those people that are struggling with pornography, who's around? Gossip? Oh, wait, wait I could tell you a story. Let me tell you what's happened. We, we have this tendency in us, this sin nature in us that wants to sin. It draws us in. Here, Moses is, he's looking around, sees no one, and he lashes out in violence. Right? Look what he, look what he does, right? Seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. So not only does he kill him, after thinking about it, he buries him. He covers up his sin. Now, when I watch like the TV shows and the Hidden Files, this is a, like a serial killer, right? He murders him and then buries him and tries to cover up the tracks so no one else knows. Like, how does Moses get to this point? And yet, then when we reflect on our life, how often do we try to cover our tracks, cover our sin? Now, hopefully you're not covering up this sin, okay? I'm just saying, like, you haven't murdered someone and buried him in the sand, right? Still forgiveness for you. God can still use you, but let's not do that to people, right? But so Moses here is this murderer. So what do we know about Moses so far? Beautiful child, sees himself as a Hebrew violent murderer. Or is he a protector? Or is he a protector who is now a violent murderer? Probably both, right? There's something in Moses that sees someone being wronged, and he wants to jump in, and he wants to fix it, but he fixes it in a way that is evil. And the question is, did that Egyptian deserve it? Did, did he deserve it? He's a slave master. They've killed children, thousands and thousands of Hebrew babies. Does he do, has this guy done evil? Yes. Are we supposed to, as Christians, repay evil with evil? No, right? 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9 talks about this, right? Peter, he understood what it was like to make a mistake, right? And he says, hey, we're supposed to have this mind, this unity of mind. We're supposed to have this sympathy, this brotherly love, this tender heart, a humble mind. And then if we have those things, he says, we don't repay evil with evil or reviling with reviling. But instead we do what? We bless. What? Are you crazy? Is this really a Bible verse? Do you think I edited that one? Because here's the thing. Violence is never the answer. Instead of violence, we're supposed to bless. That person who cut you off, bless you. I'm glad you get to get there first. Not bless you, right? Not, not the anger, not the, the hashtag blessed on the back of your car, right? That it just the violence wants to come out of us. We live in a violent society. It's around us all the time in the things that we watch, the games that we play, everything around us. There's violence everywhere, but we're supposed to bless. You're like, oh, that's just Peter. Okay, let's go to Romans. Let's see what Paul says this. Romans chapter 12. He's given us the marks of a genuine Christian. He's given us these marks, and one of them is repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Woo! So that person at, at work that talks behind your back, are you, oh, you're going to play this game? Let's do this, right? Or no, we don't repay evil. Notice how he calls it evil. They are gonna, people are going to do evil against you. 
but you don't repay it with evil. You repay it with good, honorable, with blessing. And the next verse says that we, as believers, we have the responsibility to live at peace with everyone as far as it's concerned to us. So you, as a believer in Christ, you're supposed to be the peacemaker. Now listen, this is one thing. If, if, you, if, if you're married, you understand this. You can't make someone else do what you want them to do. No amens on that one? We want to, don't we? We want to make our kids do certain things. We want to make our spouse do certain things. But we can't make anyone else act in the way of Christ. We can only, in our own heart, in our mind, act like Christ. Like, if there was a model, like a costume of Jesus here, and you're like, I'm going to step in this and be like Jesus to you. Anthony, can you, can you put your costume on? Like, what, why, are you, why are you mad at me? Can you be like Jesus, please? I can't make Anthony be like Jesus. I can only be like Jesus. And how was Jesus on the cross? Violence against him, right? Father, I forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, only grace brings about peace. Violence breeds more violence. Only grace brings about true peace. If you want change in your life, only grace will bring about long-lasting change in your life. Until you can learn to forgive the wrongs done against you, until you can learn to forgive the evil that's been done against you, you're never going to have true freedom. So we don't repay evil with evil we bless. This is so countercultural. It's so crazy. The world will say, you're just weak. Like, no, this is meekness. I have the power to lash out. I have, the, I have a quick-witted tongue. I, I, have, I have jokes, right? Not just dad jokes. I got those, but I have other jokes. Like, I've learned over the years, like, I can use my humor in a way to hurt other people. And I'm just confessing, I've done it. You know that little joke that has some shred of truth in it? Right? Just kind of under the surface. Not quite enough that they get it, but it's just kind of a little jab there. I've done that. I'm just being honest with you. Praise the Lord. He uses sinners. Amen? But we have to choose instead of that har- answering that harsh word with another harsh word, I choose not to. So this idea of a protector, what if we had this idea that God was our protector? What if we had this assurance and, and this hope that God is our protector? Now Moses, not a good example of that for us here, is he? Let's go back into Exodus 2. Let's look, look how he works. So he hides the Egyptian in the sand. Then he says this, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why did you strike your companion? Now, this is kind of a weird question for the yesterday murderer to be asking of this guy, right? But isn't that kind of how our mind works? Let's be honest, it's church, we could be there, right? That we rationalize our sin really well. But then when we see it at work in someone else, it bothers us. Right? I'm, I'm a parent, right? When I see my kids acting out and I'm like, ooh, that was so me. But don't do that, right? We, we have this tendency in us that we explain away, well, they just don't have the stresses I have. They just don't have the things that I have. And we explain away our sin instead of bringing it to the cross. Instead of letting grace be the thing that overwhelms us and washes us clean. So he goes, why are you striking your companion? And he answered, who made you prince and judge over us? 
And I just laugh at this question because God is going to. God is going to take Moses and make him the prince and judge over them. Forty years in the future, a lot of sanctification going to take place, a lot of humility in Moses is going to take place, but he is eventually going to be the prince and the judge. He is eventually going to be God's hand of bringing salvation to the people, but not yet. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Our sin will find us out. Just letting you know, you may think you're getting away with it, but your sin is going to find you out. And guys, here's something you need to understand. God is our protector. That means that the truth is also going to come out, right? As we've been going through this process, we've been learning attributes of God. Like week one of this uh, new year, we talked about the book of Genesis, how God is our creator. If you want something new in your life, go to Jesus. He's the creator of new things, right? And then in week two, we talked about God is sovereign. We talked about Joseph's life and how God had put Joseph in the perfect position through heartache and suffering and hard times. We put him in the perfect position to save his family. God is sovereign. And then we learned last week that God is more creative than we could ever imagine. I mean, think about Moses stuck in the reeds. God, instead of letting him perish, brought him back to his mom and paid her for it. God is more creative and more um, knowing than we could ever imagine. This week, God is our protector. This is so freeing. You don't have to protect yourself. You don't have to protect your reputation. When people gossip on you online and you don't know about it because you're not their friend because they unfriended you, you don't have to let that bother you because God is my protector. The truth will come out. Right? There's rumors. There's all these things that swirl around behind us. God's got it. Do you think that God can't handle the evil being done against us? Is there any reason for us to be in fear and stress over the things that other people say about us? Who is our judge? Who is the one that we want to please more? Jesus, right? So if you have that focus of, Lord, I just want to say what you want me to say, then there's no nervousness, there's no anxiety, there's no need for protecting your reputation. Just live as God wanted you to live. You can let people know your sin. Now listen, we just started path groups back up again. I hope you're in a path group. If you're not, you need to get into one. But listen, path group is not path group if you put up a shield and let nobody into your life. Path group is meant for relationship. And relationship can't happen unless you're willing to be vulnerable. Unless you're willing to open up. Guys, it's okay. You've heard my sermons. You know how messed up I am. You know how many issues I have. You know how many things of trauma I've had in my life. I've just told you, like, I tend to use my mouth sometimes to joke about things that might be true. That's a sin that I struggle with. I'm not perfect. Neither are you. So the thing about path group is you have a chance to be fully known. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Because, again, who is our defender? Who is our protector? The Lord. Right? In this case, Moses decides to be the protector. He steps in. He's not patient. He runs in, and he falls. Right? He kills this Egyptian, and it causes this thing of violence to continue. Right? Because after this, then Moses was afraid. Yeah, you murdered someone. You buried him in the sand. Now more and more people are fighting. Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. 
if he was supposed to be the savior, you're supposed to stand up to the authority, right? But what does Moses do? He runs, right? Now he runs to Midian. I want to show you a map. This is where Midian is on this map, okay? Down here in this corner, this is Saudi Arabia. Down in this corner, Sinai Peninsula, Egypt over there, right? So this area is Midian. That's about 500 miles away from, where, from Goshen, where he was. 500 miles. That would be like us walking to New Orleans. We're like, yeah, I'm going to go see a Saints game. Okay, start walking. All right, 500 miles, walking to New Orleans. That's a ways, right? Hi, Galveston, good to see you. And you're just walking through Houston, getting your way there, right? That, that's a long way to go. But he had to go far enough to get away from Pharaoh and the rage of Pharaoh. Now, if you notice Midian, just put this in the back of your mind. We're going to talk about this place a lot more. Because is Mount Sinai here? Is it on the Sinai Peninsula? The Red Sea, where did they cross, right? Did Moses go back into Midian when he led the people? Good things. Put them in your brain. Go search them at home. We'll give you some answers as the series goes on, but not yet. We've got to keep going through here, okay? So he runs the land of Midian, sits down in a well, and then we pick up the story here, right? Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs with water to water their father's flock. Why is Moses all around water? He's always around water. Things in his life just happen around that thing. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Protector Moses sees these seven daughters trying to get water. They're getting wronged by the other shepherds that are coming in and, and putting violence against them or prohibiting them from doing what they're supposed to be doing. Here comes Moses in to rescue. Now, luckily, he doesn't have to bury someone in the sand here, right? He just comes in and protects them, and then he helps them water their flocks, right? He cares for them. He actually helps them in their, in their thing. So much so that when they go back home, their dad's like, why are you here? How, how did you get done so early, right? When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Now, Ding, 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 ding. Did you notice something? When we read that, did you notice something? What does Moses want to be known as? A Hebrew. How do these strangers identify him? As an Egyptian. His outward appearance most likely was that of an Egyptian. But in his heart, he was a Hebrew. But here are these ladies going, an Egyptian saved us. Let's make sure that our heart and our outward appearance reflect the same thing, right? That we live as we want to be known. Like, let's stop tricking ourselves or stop pretending and just let, hopefully, Christ be our costume, right? When we walk out, people see Christ in us. They don't even know the difference anymore between how you act and how Christ is supposed to act. That's our eventual goal, right? That's the path that we're on. We want to be like him, and so they go back to the father and told him about this Egyptian, right, that delivers them. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. So the father's like, well, invite him in. He like saved you guys. But again, he's an Egyptian. We're not Egyptian. In fact, who are these Midianites? Who, what kind of people are they? Well, if you go to Genesis chapter 25, you see that Abraham, after Sarah dies, um, remarries and has a, has a new wife, right? And her name is Keturah. 
And, and then she has sons with Abraham afterwards. And one of the sons, if you look through this list, is Midian. So this priest of Midian was a descendant of Abraham that had moved away from the, the promised land and from that area and moved down into Saudi Arabia and settled. His family is growing here. They're becoming their own little tribe or nation there. So these descendants of Abraham are now here to bring in Moses, someone who's actually in their same lineage, right, and to bring them in. So he brings them in, and Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and they called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And Moses is going to take 40 years, right? He was 40 years old when this happened, and another 40 years, when he's 80, he's going to go back into Egypt, but he's going to spend 40 years. Now, that 40 is important, isn't it? 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days for Christ to be tempted in the wilderness, right? We start seeing some of these numbers, like 40 years in the desert, wandering around later on in the story, right? But Moses is going to take this 40 years away in the wilderness to learn some things so that when he goes back into Egypt to be ready. What are, what are some things that he learns in this land? Here's the first thing. He learns about the one true God. Moses, during this time, has been grown up, he's been raised up, he's grown up inside of Pharaoh's court. What do we know about Egyptian gods? They, they're polytheistic. They have multiple gods, right? And you're going to learn the names of some of these gods when we start getting into the plagues and those sort of things, and Ra and all these different, um, the sun god and all the fertility gods and all these different things are going to start happening. That's what Moses grew up in. Yet now, in this 40 years, he's going to be with the priest of Midian, He's going to be with someone who's going to teach him about the one true God, Yahweh, the great I am. And in fact, the great I am is going to meet with him in person and teach him and guide him. Here's the second thing that Moses learned, humility. He goes from being the prince, being in Pharaoh's home, now he's a shepherd. Now he's walking around guarding sheep in the wilderness. He had to learn humility so that he could truly be used by God in the way that God wanted him to. And guys, if you go in as the Savior, if you have this kind of Savior complex, which we do sometimes as Christians, well, I'm going to go in and save the day. No, I'm going to go in and point you to Jesus. I'm going to go in and help you see how beautiful and wonderful Jesus is. Moses came in the first time as he wanted to be the Savior of the people. He's going to come in the second time saying, hey, it's not me. It's the one true God. And that should be the testimony of our life. Anything that we do, we give praise to him. That's humility or meekness as we get more and more into Moses' life. He's described as this incredibly meek man. But that's for another week. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement you give us from your word. Lord, many of us in this room are protectors. We want to step in the gap. We want to help others, Lord. And I praise you for that. Lord, help us do it in a way that is glorifying to you. Not with violence, but with blessing. Lord, just as Matthew 5 says, Lord, if they, they sue you, give them your other tunic. If they ask you to walk a mile, walk two miles, Lord. Help us to turn the other cheek to be willing to be like Christ, to lay down our life for others, Lord. That's where our true love is found, is in our ability, Lord, to be like you and lay down our life for others. So encourage us, but I thank you for this story that we can learn, Lord, from this story about Moses and more about his character 
more about the thing that you love, Lord. I pray that you'll help us to be more like your son, Jesus. Thank you for this day of worship and praise. We give you praise. We praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What a joy it is to be able to come together in worship and dive into the word. We have a few announcements before we head out this morning. And the first thing is next Sunday in the evening, we are going to do an in-depth evangelism training course class um, for the church to participate in. And so we want to invite you to come and join us for this evening of teaching, of fun. It is going to be an awesome time of community, and we would love for you to come and participate. So come and be a part of it. Chad Barrett, our new group's pastor, is going to walk us through this time together. And then this next month, February, we have our Immerse Weekend happening. Woo-woo! Yeah, it, it is going to be a fabulous weekend of coming together here at the church in different host homes in the Kyle area and diving into the Word, spending time in worship and playing a bunch of games. Youth, if any of you have not signed up yet, sign up. It is on our website. Come talk to me and I will send you the sign-up form. We want you there. We want you to come and be a part of the fun. So come and be a part of it. And then also, church, if you are looking for a way to volunteer, if you would like to volunteer, we would love to have you come and be a part of this weekend. It takes all of us to put it on. And so if you want to come and be a driver, if you want to come and make snacks, if you want to come and hang out with youth doing a small group, we have multiple different ways for you to come and help. You can come the whole weekend. You can come just for one session. Come talk to me, and I would love to get you plugged into the right place so you can serve and be a part of what God is doing in Refuge. And then also today, we're super excited that we have the chance to celebrate baptism this morning. Woo-woo! And so just after this service, outside in the grass, we are going to have a baptism, and we would love for you to come and witness this profession of faith. And so grab your kiddos, meet us outside in a few minutes, and we are going to get that started. Church, you are dismissed. We'll see you next Sunday. Christ is risen from the grave. The prodigal was welcomed home, the sinner now a saint. But the God who died came back to life, and everything is changed. Hallelujah, Christ is risen from the grave, hallelujah, Christ is risen from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, fear, where is your power? The mighty King of kings has
And on the day you call me in to heaven's sweet embrace, I see your scars, your open arms, the beauty of your face, through tears of joy.